It's really important to tackle challenges. As you let things slide, then those things compound. A problem starts as a mouse and then you let it turn into an elephant or a mountain. Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success, a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Renee Francis from The Bubble Co., a completely remote and flexible full-service digital marketing agency that she founded seven years ago. Hi, Renee. Welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast, and thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to meet another marketer and a person who's been an entrepreneur from such early on in your career. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. It's really good to be here, and I'm excited to get into our chat today. Great. Just to start things off, seven years ago, you started The Bubble Co. I'd love to understand a little bit more. What was the change you wanted to make? Or to put that another way, what's the vision you're trying to deliver? And who do you hope to help? Yeah, what a great question. My story starts with the fact that I worked in the corporate world for 10 years. And very early on in those 10 years, I realized it wasn't for me and it wasn't something that I wanted to do long term. It just took me a a little while to figure my way out of the corporate world. What I started doing, I I actually started taking on contract positions. So it could be a six-month contract here, a maternity leave replacement contract there. And in the span of about 10 years, I actually worked in 10 different companies. By doing that, I was building so much experience, so much knowledge, Uh, so much network in a wide range of different industries. It was all leading me down this path of what was initially freelancing and contracting, and then later what turned into this full-scale digital marketing agency. By the time 2016 rolled around, I was pretty exhausted and fed up with the corporate sort of rat race, just how stifling the corporate world can be just all the blocks and restrictions that I found in the corporate world. So I I founded the Bubble Co, as you mentioned. And to answer your question about my vision was always to build a flexible and remote workplace. And seven years later, I'm really proud to say that's exactly what we've done. And we've built that successfully. And we have an awesome team. And I just really wanted to provide more flexibility as compared to traditional corporate environments. We're we're going to explore the remote or, as I use the word, distributed team model in detail because, A, it's of interest to everybody and, B, I have a similar model. Before we go into that, who are the clients you work with today? And also, just as another question to follow on from there, was it always a vision to build a marketing agency or was it something that you then fell into? To answer the first question, the majority of the clients that we work with are large national and multinational corporations. And the industries that we tend to typically work with and provide the most value to is B2B. We work with a lot of manufacturing clients, industrial, construction materials. We've just found that we can provide the most value to those industries. In saying that, a lot of our clients have like a consumer arm of their business and we do have a bunch of direct-to-consumer customers and e-commerce clients as well. And the second part of your question was, was it always the dream? Was it always the vision to build a marketing agency? My answer to that is 
Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> it's the first time I've really been asked that. Was that always the vision to create a marketing agency? I guess my career of that first 10 years in corporate, it was all sales and marketing. When I went to university, I studied business marketing. That's my area of expertise. That's what I feel most comfortable doing. That's where I can provide the most value. Building a marketing agency was always what made the most sense. I've worked in marketing and run marketing agencies for the last 20 years. And I know my story is very much the accidental agency owner. That's not an uncommon story where either we're good at something in marketing and suddenly we've realized we've built an agency around there versus other people who have vision to build a specific in business in a specific industry. I think so many agency owners are, as I said, accidental agency owners. Just to go into that a little bit further, I really did see a gap when I worked in the corporate world. I've worked with many different agencies in lots of my roles and there was a creative agency or there was a website agency or there was a videography agency. The thinking behind the Bubble Co being a full service agency is that we can house all those services under the one roof for clients. That's a good segue to go, again, thinking back over the last seven years of starting and then running the Bubble Co. What are you most proud of and why? Goodness, so many things. This year has been a really big start to the year for us. The Bubble Co was actually nominated as a finalist for the 2023 Small Business Champion Awards, which was an amazing achievement. We also got listed on the Smart Company Smart 50 list for the most innovative workplaces. Just this year alone, having those two credentials, those two pieces of recognition has been really amazing. If I really break it down and I answer that question really simply, what I'm most proud of is just being able to build and grow an agency with an awesome team. We all hear the stats of how many businesses fail in the first few years. You're a business owner, how challenging it can be at times. What I'm most proud of is actually proud and grateful just to be running a company that is successful and is providing income, career opportunities, growth and learning for a good team. Congratulations on those accolades. That's a fantastic achievement. Thanks, Rick. Look, as I mentioned in the introduction and we've already touched on, the bubble code today is a completely remote, or the language I use is distributed and flexible business. I just want to understand going back seven years ago, did you start the business with this approach from the very beginning, which is obviously pre-COVID, pre-everybody accepting that this is a, a valid business model, or has it been a more recent change? And either way, what was the logic or the rationale behind deciding to build your business using a distributed and flexible team? Yeah, what a good question. So the answer is yes, it was always the vision and that's how we started in 2016. And it was pre-COVID, pre what the norm is now for a lot more businesses. One thing is that in the first few years, to be really honest with you, pre-COVID, we weren't as accepted very quickly with a lot of companies being a remote team. It, it just wasn't heard of. It wasn't normal. I, I guess it made some people feel uneasy, right? So when COVID hit, the great thing for us was we didn't need to change much in our business. We were already working remotely. We had everything set up, ready to go. Our team was distributed, as you say, and we could just press on without having to overhaul our business. 
it really was from that point where companies and clients would look at us and talk to us and talk to me and say, wow, you guys were really ahead of your time and you were really forward thinking. It was such a nice thing to hear from the first few years of it, almost being frowned upon by some, not everybody, but by some. And so to answer the second part of your question, which was what was the thinking behind doing this? As I mentioned, I spent 10 years in the corporate world and I found it very restrictive. So I worked for some really amazing companies and I worked for some businesses that were also weren't so amazing because not every business is and not every business suits every person, if that makes sense. I was trying to build something that gave me everything I didn't get in the corporate world. It was all these things that led me to believe that we can work in a better way. What I had heard was that the industrial revolution had happened over 200 years ago and we had started working in this way and then we just had never changed or evolved or adapted. I knew I was a diligent and hard worker and I provided loads of value. I worked alongside a lot of other people that were very diligent, hard workers, provided a lot of value. I just knew that from speaking to them that there are other ways of working and it's not about being lazy or not putting in or not wanting to show up or not wanting to work alongside other people. It's that we value flexibility above other things in our life. And if we can work extremely hard, put in extremely high levels of value and um, absolutely crush all our business goals, then why shouldn't we be allowed to work in remote, uh, distributed or flexible ways? So my philosophy is if the work is delivered to a really high standard and it's delivered on time, on budget, and it's delivered in all the right ways, then it doesn't matter to me what time of a day somebody is working. That's where this has all stemmed from. It's imagine one of many examples of what are the values that you bring and have built the team around you. Just to give the listeners a little bit of context, my business is also set up, as I said, in a distributed or remote model. I have a local team of senior marketers who work in our clients' offices on a part-time basis, and they're supported by a team of local and offshore members who help manage and then implement clients' marketing. Given that there's such a growth and interest in hybrid and distributed models, they're becoming more and more common, especially for SMEs. I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into your approach to how you've built and managed your team. Before we get into that, what is the size of your team and where are they working? So we have a team of 16 people now. Everyone is distributed through Australia and New Zealand. Most of our team is based in Sydney. And then we also have team members in Queensland, in Melbourne, Perth, and New Zealand. What's interesting to that, and as I said, we'll delve into that in a moment, but you have obviously haven't done it as a cost-saving strategy. As we know, many people look at offshore as a way to reduce costs. If they're all local, then you're playing local rates. When I look at offshore resources, I have a, a similar attitude. I did it partly because we couldn't find resources in Australia and it allowed us to then look offshore in all markets all around the world to get senior people. So it's not about getting a junior person for as cheap as possible to do the work. It's actually about how can we tap really senior experienced people wherever they are. Just to go a little bit deeper, as I said, one of the key responsibilities of a leader of a company is to articulate and communicate the vision and direction of the business so that the team knows where they're going and 
ultimately can independently work to get there. Given the distributed dynamics of your team, how do you ensure your team understand why the bubble coexists, the value you want to create for your clients? And could you share some of the rituals or habits you use to keep the vision of the firm top of mind? Sure. While we are remote and distributed, we do spend a lot of time together and that can be virtually and physically in real life as well. That's a really important part of running a remote team. It's not about everyone being disconnected and isolated. It's about people working in the ways and hours and days that suit them most, where they can produce the most value, but by still coming together in a variety of ways. So just to run through some of our structure and our processes to answer your question, first thing first is every single Monday morning, we have a team whip. So everybody comes together. We spend a lot of time together. We run through what we're working on that week together, what we need from each other. And most importantly, each individual person shares a learning from the previous week. We have a very big learning and growth culture in our team. That team meeting is followed by what we call a knowledge share. So somebody in the team has prepared a little learning session. It can be on a range of topics. So it can be something to do with digital marketing, might be something to do with photography, might be something to do with the new AI tools that have come out. And then sometimes it might be about mental health or about managing stress. We're doing a lot of learning and growth all the time. We go to workshops, webinars, different training courses throughout the year as well. Having a learning and growth culture is super important for us. And as part of the structure, we have a really solid project management tool. So we use ClickUp. Some people might be familiar with Asana or Monday or Trello. We've tried the others and ClickUp is what works best for us. That is where everything is stored. That's where all the projects are managed and our ops team are in there daily, double checking and helping the rest of the team with that as well. One thing about being a remote and flexible team is people often say, don't you get bored? Don't you get lonely? <clears throat> and, and I always have to say the word remote or distributed as you use doesn't mean we're all sitting by ourselves in a room, in a cave by ourselves every day, we, there's no communication. So for us, we actually communicate more probably than a, sometimes a team that's sitting together in an office. It's because we have to, because when we're not sitting together, it's like we are forced to communicate with each other. And we all highly encourage this in the team. We have video meet, we've got a, a group chat, everyone can access each other in multiple ways. And as I mentioned, in real life as well. So for example, this Friday, half our team's coming together in Sydney. So we come together as, as frequently as we need to. Plus in the team, people are meeting up all the time to work together. In terms of how I communicate the values and the vision of the company, we do this on a weekly basis. And that's something that's actually really important for business owners, newer business owners and entrepreneurs to, to keep in mind is that it's not about communicating a vision or values once and then we then you move on. These things need to be constantly repeated in the team, drilled into the team, exercised in different ways. So we're constantly going through these things on a weekly basis. Plus we have multiple sessions per year. So we'll have sessions per year where it's like very structured, come together as a team, have either a bit of a workshop. It's almost like our team conference where we do updates throughout the year of these things. And then in terms of the team values, we've also implemented 
our, a team values award. So every month the team has to like openly nominate another member in the team and they have to clearly articulate which value that they're nominating them for and how they've expressed or portrayed that value that month. So it constantly keeps the company values top of mind. I agree with you that when you run a distributed approach, you you need to be more intentional Mm. with everything you do because you can't just take it for granted that you'll bump into somebody and you can ask that question. You actually need to think more about how we bring people together which I think in many ways makes the connections better because there's more determination around them and there's an objective for them. I often find that when a business that works on the models that we're talking about, you actually spend more time thinking about culture and values because so many businesses rely on the fact that they can go out for lunch or go to the pub and say, our culture is fun and social. And ultimately, that's not a sustainable culture. A culture needs to be built on values and behaviors and a common and shared understanding which when you're working in these sorts of environments and you're intentional in the way you connect and catch up you can actually build that into it we also rely quite heavily on video as you have but we also rely a lot on written communication everything from short form through to we use a, a blogging platform to have broader long longer debates on issues and topics that we're interested in to see where things are changing over time as well. I think you made such a good point about the intentional aspect as well. It made me think of another thing about remote work. So often I hear on podcasts or people say it as well to me, which is, yeah, but when you work in person in an office or in a location where everybody needs to go there every day, that's what creates discipline. I understand where they're coming from. But I disagree that is real and true discipline because if you're a remote distributed worker, as you frame it, for me, it's like, it's not discipline if you're like portraying behaviors because they're expected and because somebody's watching you in an office environment. Real and true discipline is when you're doing things when no one's watching and no one's expecting it. That's like self-discipline to me. And I think that makes so much more sense than we're training discipline by asking people to come into an office every day. That's not true discipline. Discipline is when you can execute it yourself when no one's really watching you. We've all worked in office environment where there's a colleague who really doesn't pull their weight. And yes, just because they're there and they Mm. might be the first in and last out, but you can absolutely see that they're not delivering. And I agree with you when it's when the focus of the work is on delivering projects and actually delivering the things you're going to do, you have to see that far more deeply in a distributed or remote model. I love the line that you have to demonstrate the behavior you would do if your mother was watching you or your (laughs) father. So if you're doing things that you would be proud of for your parents and family and and close friends to see you, then you're probably doing the right things. But if you're shirking off, then it's probably not. Exactly, exactly. And people often ask me, oh, how do you know your team is actually working if you're not together? I know it's still a relatively new-ish concept, but to me, I also see it differently. And you just touched on it. If you're working in an office with someone, just because they're there and they're present doesn't mean they're working and delivering and adding value. Whereas in a remote environment, if someone's not delivering or communicating or submitting their projects and everything on time, it's actually more obvious and more evident than it would be if you were sitting next to someone 
where you can physically see and interact with them and you can have the perception that they're working. Yeah, yeah. definitely agree. Look, one of the areas that often comes up is around the recruitment and the challenge of finding and retaining great teams, whether it's mm -hmm. distributed, remote or in-person. I mean, today, possibly the market is starting to shift, but definitely over the last few years, finding and recruiting staff has been the number one topic yeah. with almost every business owner I speak to. In the context of building and managing your team, how do you manage the recruitment process and what is the role of things like video or other technology and processes you use to ensure that the person is going to be a great fit for the team, but also being able to manage their own work in a distributed mm -hmm. remote environment? I'll walk you through the, the process. I do just want to preface this with, I always feel like I'm constantly learning and constantly evolving and tweaking this process. But where I'm at now, which seems to be working well, is I often meet a lot of our team members firstly on LinkedIn. We might post jobs or I might personally post that we're looking for people and then people will reach out to me or sometimes through my network, I'll come across people that their background looks interesting and I reach out to them to have a chat. The first thing is running through the initial interview process. In the early days of the business, when I first started the business and I've started my business from my laptop on my kitchen table at home and I'm just working in the business by myself and it's growing and suddenly I need help and someone shows interest that they want to work in this business that I've started on my kitchen table. Honestly, the, the prerequisites when I first started was, is this person got a heartbeat? Yep, you can come and work with me. <laughs> Deep analysis. <laughs> Very deep, right? Four, five, six, seven years later, they, we've created much better processes around that. I think as an entrepreneur, it's a mindset thing. And now we've grown and evolved to the point where it's, yeah, we have a really strong culture, an awesome business, great clients, and a great team to work with. So this is actually something you, you should strive to be part of, right? So the mindset is very different to where I first started. We run through an interview process. Part of the reason I shared that story is because after so many years, I've built some sort of grit and experience about being able to realize who will be a good fit first, who may not be a good fit. The second part of the process, if we think that they're great, then we often get them to submit a little test task. It takes an hour or two for them to complete. It's just for us to assess their quality of work. We want to make sure that we're bringing in the best people to our team um, that deliver the best quality for our clients. As part of this recruitment process, what I've also learned is really important as a smaller business is really sharing my vision. That's what I've learned has been really important. When I share my vision and I tell them my story and I say, I worked in the corporate world for 10 years. These are the things I didn't like about it. This is why I started the Bubble Co. This is what I'm trying to make different. This is what I'm trying to make better for everyone. And this is where we're heading in the future. It's very quick to see who's on board with that vision and who may not be on board with that vision. I've learned that the better I can share my vision with potential team members, then the better team members I get. It's because if people share those same values of flexibility and delivering high quality work and not gelling as much with the corporate world, then suddenly we have a really good connection i found that's really important in the recruitment process. Just to be clear, the mo I'm assuming 
that that process is managed completely vir- virtually. So it's a digital process. Interviews are done through video chat, etc. Yeah, is that so correct. I'm going to say 90% plus of our first interviews, so the first round interviews, are done over video. Right. Are there any tips or tricks that you've learned in terms of interviewing people on video versus in person? Obviously, there's a different level of physical interactions that you can do when you're with people versus using a video call. So how do you compensate for some of those factors within an interview process? Good question. I think when people show up to a video interview, it says a lot about their character and their work ethic and things like that. So if people rock up to a video interview and they've got a messy background, they're not dressed appropriately like they normally would for employment, it's all these little things that you can start put together and say, if, if you're at home or in an environment that's comfortable for you and you didn't put in a little bit of effort to come for an interview or a chat about potentially working together, then it's something to do with effort, firstly. Secondly, because a lot of our work is remote, even with our clients, a lot of our clients work from home now most of the time as well. So it's actually really important that we conduct a lot of our interviews over video because especially client-facing roles, they're going to be on video a lot with our clients. So we need to make sure that they can present and communicate well virtually and over video, which is super important. Again, and I've got a few more questions in this area just to say, dig a bit deeper. So obviously a business is fundamentally it's just a collection of people and mm-hmm. our goal as leaders of a business is to ensure that people work as effectively together as possible. And Often one of the areas of of concern that I hear expressed around virtual or, or distributed teams versus in person is managing of mentoring and keeping people motivated. So it's very easy if somebody comes in and knows exactly what to do and can just pick up and run with it. But when they, they're junior staff or they're new to the field and they need to be mentored and managed to build up their skills, that is quite a different process uh, to manage virtually. Yeah. How do you manage that? And, and specifically, do you have any processes or systems that you do ranging from onboarding to ongoing mentoring? And what tools, so you mentioned ClickUp, are there other things that you use to support the mentoring and management of, of staff on a day-to-day basis? The first thing I'll say is, We don't actually hire a lot of junior staff because of the way we work and people need to be quite skilled and experts in their area and be able to work quite autonomously. We don't have a lot of juniors in our team. Not that we don't have any, but we don't have a lot. And when we do hire juniors, they're very carefully selected and we take a lot of time to bring them on board. And actually, there's this little saying that you've probably heard of generally when recruiting and hiring people, which is, hire slow and fire fast. That can't be more true of the experiences that I've had in the last few years. So that's been a really important factor. But particularly when there is a potential team member who's really promising, but they are more on the junior side, we slow it down even more. So that's the first thing that we do. In terms of training and development, we have a massive learning culture in our team. So One of the main things we have is the unlimited Udemy account. So everyone can access that and upskill themselves and train themselves, which is really cool. Our team knows that they can come forward with any webinars, courses, things that they've seen that they think would benefit them and the team. 
In terms of other development, our agency is split into teams. Team leaders in each area and each department are also responsible for helping and developing and coaching each of our team members. In terms of tools, yep, so we've got ClickUp. Obviously, we use all the video conferencing tools. We've got a range of tools and they're very specific to each role or team. We have a social media scheduling tool. We have Figma for the designers and developers. So we have all the different tools that uh, people need on a daily basis. Overall, learning culture is paramount to us. And one thing I've come to learn is team members need to see progress. They need to see progress in themselves and they need to see progress in the business and the company and the team that they're working for. No one really wants to go stale or feel like they're in a stale environment. So that's why it's so important for us to continuously be learning all the time. One final question and then we'll go broader again onto the, the, the bigger picture questions. Just one area again that I'm interested in is really the mental being and the work-life balance for one of yep. a better terminology. And one of the benefits, obviously, that you've alluded to in your remote model or flexible model is that people can get to school excursions, pick up kids or yep. do shopping during the day when it's less crowded, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that people can't easily just be sitting at their desk working all day and into the evening because fundamentally it's either the couch, the kitchen table or the office. But how do you manage to support your team and their mental well-being and and make sure that they're living a balanced life for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So important. And you made a really good point where flexible can, for some people and maybe just for some periods of time, turn into working all morning right through night, which is something that we really try to avoid in our team. So in our ClickUp tool, we actually have a whole section that's called workload. What it does is each team member can go in at the start of each week and input their hours that they work in each day. And then that means when we're briefing in tasks to each individual team member, we can see immediately if any one of their days has turned red because we've sent them over capacity. So that's one of the first tools we use, and that's super important for our team. So we can straight away see this person is one hour over capacity this day, or this person's eight hours over capacity this day, which means something needs to change. We need to shift workload around. We need to check in on deadlines and and make some adjustments, firstly. Secondly, I was just having this conversation with one of our team members today, actually, where they were saying to me, you know what, I don't mind sometimes if I need to jump online of an evening or even jump online on a Sunday morning. I don't care at all because I get the flexibility during the week to manage my days and my times and my hours. So why wouldn't I give that flexibility back to you and back to the company if I'm getting it every single day? So when people can drop off their kids, pick up their kids, take them to school excursions, take them to a doctor's appointment, like you said, go to the shops in the middle of the day, pick up something, have appointments in the middle of the day rather than your whole weekend being clogged up by appointments and errands. One thing our team always says is the flexibility goes both ways. And that's really important because if they're getting the flexibility and they know this and they're aware of it and they know it was something that they didn't get in the corporate world, they're so much more willing to give it back, which is really nice and it creates a really good environment. So I think just generally the way that we work, freeing up some time in their week, advocating and encouraging that flexibility, it gives them 
it gives them a, a lot better mental well-being. We've also at times run mental well-being workshops and things like that because it's really important. It's such an important, it's such an important part of particularly of remote work. Yep, definitely. As promised, I'll go back into some bigger picture things That's now. That's okay. So again, despite all the careful planning we do for our businesses, unexpected <laughs> things always seem to happen. Looking back over the past seven years of building the Bubble Co., I'm curious to know if there was something that caught you by surprise, challenge, an opportunity, whatever it may be. And if so, how did you adjust the business strategy to achieve success from that opportunity or challenge? What an interesting question. As you would know, running a business, there are challenges all the time. It's very challenging, right? It's very challenging. But I, I do believe that all the challenges, it, it makes us grow muscle and it, it, it makes us stronger. The challenges I may have had four years ago are like not challenges now. But then the new challenges that I have now are obviously hopefully not going to be as big in a, another few years' time, if that makes sense. So if I was to pinpoint an example, for me, it was when I had to start letting employees go and having to let the first employee go and part ways with team members. It's not that we had a poor relationship. It's that I really loved and respected these people, but working together just wasn't working anymore. And it, it's really challenging when I really like the person as a human being, but working together and the deliverables are just not happening. I remember the very first time I had to let someone go, it was so extremely stressful. <laughs> You're smiling and nodding because you've probably been through this as well. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it goes back to my earlier point, which is higher, slow and fire fast, which is something I've had to learn in the last few years. I definitely did not adhere to that in the early days of the business. I would sense a problem, something was not delivered, something was not going right. And I would sweep it under the rug because it was more comfortable than having to let someone go or remove somebody from the business. The biggest thing I learned from that is that it was one of the biggest mistakes because as you let things slide, then those things compound. One of the things that my business coach and mentor says is a problem starts as a mouse and then you let it turn into an elephant or a mountain. It's really important to tackle challenges. And the challenge I'm referring to in this example is if you need to let people go, if you need to part ways with people in business, it is better to do it sooner rather than later and not let those problems compound and evolve into bigger, newer, nastier problems. The more I've learned to step into uncomfortable conversations, the better I'm at having them. But more importantly, the better the team is for it, because even if it does end with having to let somebody go, it's still better to air it and learn from it than let it grow and fester. Absolutely. Cool. I read something online that said, there's nothing worse than a bad team member than the rest of your team watching you tolerate it. Yeah. That couldn't be more true because every time I have had to remove a toxic person or just somebody that wasn't the right fit at the right time, as soon as they were removed, it was like a, a, a whole new environment in the team and everyone was happier for it. It was like a, a weight lifted. Yeah, I completely agree. It also it highlights one of the big beliefs that we have around beliefs and values in a company. And it doesn't matter what you tell your team members, beliefs are never told, they're observed. So if you're putting up with bad behavior and something that is obviously 
not in line with the the values and the behaviors that we want people to do, then the rest of the team see you as the owner approving that value or that behavior and therefore going, it doesn't matter if you've said, we always want to be honest. We know this person's lying. And if you're accepting the lying, which is an extreme case, but it's just acknowledging that by you accepting it, then that's actually becoming what the values of the organization are. Absolutely. It goes back to the old school saying of actions speak louder than words. So you can say what a value is and you can say what your expectations are and you can say what you believe in. But if everyone's watching you do the opposite thing, then what are they going to believe? Completely agree. In creating a sustainable company, a company that has the potential to last decades or even generations, the role of the founder has to continually change. As you highlighted earlier, you started on your laptop on your kitchen table, and I'm sure you've at least moved possibly still on a laptop, but hopefully you're at a better desk now. (laughs) What have been some of the most significant changes in your role? And were these intentional changes, i.e. you decided that this is where you want to get to and you worked to that new role versus were they just out of change within the organization and specific events drove the, the change in your role? when I started the business, I was the jack of all trades. I was doing everything. I had my hat on delivering work for clients, doing the financing and accounting, doing the new business development, doing everything, right? What the shift for me has been over the last few years is really pulling myself out of the day-to-day deliverables of the business. I now have an awesome team who can deliver it better than I can. And being the person who's driving the new business development for the business and driving the growth of the business and making sure we've got good, solid structures and foundations in place to continue that growth and longevity, as you mentioned. In terms of how the roles have evolved over time, I think in the early days, it wasn't so intentional. It was more as an as-needed basis. It was like, oh, we're growing, we're expanding. Oh, we've got all this extra work. Okay, I can't possibly do it all myself. We need to bring more people in. Then as the business got to a point of growth where now it was more sustained growth over a period of time, and now it was going, what are the things that I I can let go of so that I can now push us into the next phase of growth and the next phase of longevity of this business? For the most part, they've got such a good team who delivers so that I'm focused on the business development. Now it is more intentional. So Where it wasn't for a little while, now it is more intentional that I know my role in the company is to create a really good, wholesome culture where everyone can work and deliver their best possible value and foster that culture. And then I know it's to help build a long and sustainable future for this business that now people rely on for income and for their families and things like that. And that's where my focus has shifted to now and more intentionally than it did years ago. Congratulations. It's always a a challenging hurdle to get over from being in the business to working far more on the business. And it sounds like you've managed that transition really well. I'm still working in the business. I'm still working in the business. The the transition is still taking place. And it always will, as you say. Something happens and you're the first person to jump in often, or at least that's what I find that I am. Look, that's a really interesting place to go a slightly different direction and possibly a little bit more personally into how you manage your life. But running a business, especially in a small, medium-sized business, it really requires a dedication to being resilient. 
how have you developed the mental muscle to drive the changes that you just talked about in your role and now driving the business? And really, what do you do every day to remain resilient? It's such a good question. And part of me wants to answer that by saying, have I built all the resilience? Because I think that it's a constantly growing and evolving thing that we need to have as business owners. To answer your question, there are a few things. Obviously, all the challenges that we go through as a business on the setbacks, the the ups and downs, that is truly what helps build the resilience, right? Even when we've had the most challenging times, I always try to keep a mindset of if we can get through this, then imagine what we get through next. So I think I mentioned earlier that the challenges don't go away. They just become bigger challenges but then we're growing as leaders and business owners as at the same time so then suddenly we can tackle bigger and bigger challenges as we keep going along so I mentioned before that a challenge that I had in the first year of the business would be something I don't even think about now how do I build the resilience firstly it is by trying to you know tackle those challenges head on I do a lot of reading and podcasts and that has really helped me learn a lot about mindset and growth and resilience. I have a business coach and mentor who helps me as well. There are many and multiple ways to keep building the resilience. For me, it's all about building in a lot of routine and structure. So I try to keep to a very similar routine every day where I wake up and the first few hours of my day are me time where I try to do my exercise, my reading, my podcast, my expressing gratitude, all those sorts of things. Because when my day starts, I'm often in a lot of meetings or doing a lot of work all day that I won't get that time to myself during the day. So I need to schedule that time in early in the morning before everyone's woken up and when I can really just focus on myself. One thing that I've learned more recently, and I'm still getting used to this, is scheduling in rest time and rest days. So you might be similar, but as a business owner, we can just work like seven days a week, like just constantly. (laughs) I've really had to get intentional about setting at least one day a week where I'm not looking at my computer, I'm not checking emails, I'm not responding to things. And, And that's really important. Around building resilience, because if as a business owner, if we just work, work, then we can reach that point of burnout. And that's not that's not building resilience. That's just breaking us down. So there's some of the things I keep in mind. Thank you for that. I ask that question because it is a common theme amongst business owners in terms, especially the how do you not work every day and how do you find yeah. time for us? And I find as a running a distributed company that I'm at my desk much more than I used to be because you're always here, even if it's a meeting. So yes, I work at, I have a stand-up desk. I try to walk away from my computer often. I try to schedule time between meetings to take it just a few minutes away from the screen. And I also get up early and do things as well. Just to go a completely different direction now. So let's do a hard left turn. And given your responsibility for your own client strategy, I'm sure parts of this question will resonate with you. A great strategy is focused on the most impactful activities. In our experience, this has shown that at any point, a company can really only work on a finite number of strategic initiatives, typically three or four. Can you tell us about one or two of your current strategic initiatives and the decision process you used to decide on what to focus on? 
So it's actually a really good question. One of our strategic directions has been uh, focusing and pivoting into Web3, so much so that I've actually started a second agency in the last six months called Take3, which is focused on Web3. Uh, we've been moving into this space over the last one to two years. The reason being is because I, I, I personally see this as, as the future. So it, it's the next iteration of the internet and we're right at the forefront of it. And in terms of future-proofing our team's careers and skill sets and knowledge and things like that, it's been a really important strategic objective for us. And personally, I have a strong passion for decentralization. I think it stems from my experiences in the corporate world. And the whole decentralized future is something that I'm super passionate about. Our whole team has become super passionate about it as well. And so that's been a, a big strategic objective for us, which is helping our Web2 clients um, learn about and then pivot into Web3 world because that's where the future is heading. In terms of a second strategic objective, uh, I'm going to just keep this a little bit broad. For us, it, it's always been about building an agency that just delivers so much value to the market that we're irreplaceable to our clients. I love it. It also talks to one of my principles, which is building a remarkable experience for our clients. And part of that is is through the value that we create. The better that experience, the more likely our clients are going to remain with us and recommend us to others. That's a perfect place to finish up on two quite strategic, big picture positions that you're trying to bring to not just your team, but to your clients and to the world around us. So Renee, thank you specifically for allowing me to geek out on remote and distributed business models. I know we went quite depth into that, but I think it really is defining what the, the companies of tomorrow are going to look like. And I really wish you all the best and look forward to seeing the continued success of not just only the bubble code, but of Take 3 as well. So thank you very much, Renee. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rick. It was really enjoyable to chat to you today and thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you.